Good morning. I was with the sixth graders this morning. We have a large class of sixth grade students graduating this morning, and I had the chance to speak to them and encourage them this morning. That's why I came into the service a little late, just in case you were wondering. What's this guy, you know, he doesn't have to be here like the rest of us? What's with that? I wasn't born a pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't respect pastors when I was a young man. I don't think it was the scandals, although they didn't help. In fact, when God called me, pastors had long been stereotyped in movies and television and books. It wasn't pretty. The word stereotype itself, derived from the Greek language, means a solid impression. In other words, a widely held opinion. Pastors were stereotyped as weak and incompetent, as troubled sinners, or as men who just couldn't get a real job. I don't know what came first. You know, the old chicken or the egg. Did movies get it from public opinion? Or did the public opinion get it from the movies? At any rate, I didn't follow God's call into the pastorate for respect. But I determined to change people's opinion of what a pastor is by the kind of pastor I wanted to be for Christ. Fact of the matter is, no matter what echelon of life you're in, it's harder and harder to get respect. Trying to get some R-E-S-P-E-C-T made Aretha Franklin famous. Rodney Dangerfield knew what she was singing about. His uh, comic shtick was, I get no respect, I tell you. Everyone wants respect, but it's harder to get than ever. As much as we want it, we ourselves find it hard to give respect, which is ironic. Our culture you see, is sinking in disrespect. As children, we're taught at least one hopes that as children we're taught to respect our parents, teachers, and our elders, school rules, the police, family and traditions, other people's feelings, and rights, our country's flag, and our leaders, the truth, and people's differing opinions. Does that strike you as naive or wishful to teach respect 
when these very same hallmarks of public trust and institutional virtue are corrupt, we're told? Is it personal experience that has jaded us? Has your child's grade school teacher been convicted as a pedophile? Do you personally know a policeman caught in a bribery scandal? Has your banker been sent to jail? We could go on and on. Or, is it the media incessantly reporting, breaking stories, and pitching exclusives of real-life exceptions, contradictions, corruption, and ugliness that turns our general respect into general disrespect, our trust into suspicion. It's called the news. National, local, cable, radio, internet, morning, evening, and late night, anchors, chief correspondents, commentators, even comedians. And it doesn't stop there. There's entertainment tonight and the like. Reality shows, TV sitcoms and dramas, movies and more. Oh, there's truth in it. And spin and jokes and ratings and advertising and money. Media doesn't make the events, but they make the exposure and the focus and the treatment and the commentary and in the end, the manifold exposure of a few. Because of the glaring focus of the media shapes the general suspicion and disrespect of all. Let's look at Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. In a real way, the whole world is exposed to a scandal. Consider how it's handled. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. There were three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. 
When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his slave. I wish this wasn't in the Bible. Just got finished, you know, speaking a couple of times on Noah, and then we come to this. I have not the time, although I have the inclination, to speak for an hour and a half or two on this passage. I've gone to school on this passage. Alan P. Ross, who wrote an essay on this, called this a bizarre little story that has perplexed students of Genesis for some time. Ross goes on to ask, why does Noah, the spiritual giant of the flood, appear in such a bad light? What exactly did Ham do to Noah? Who is Canaan, and why should he be cursed for something he did not do? Well, I'd like to answer these three questions that Alan P. Ross asks. Why does Noah appear in such a bad light? Because Ham shamed him. Ham exposed him. If Ham didn't shame Noah, the incident would never have come to light. We would not be reading it this morning. What exactly did Ham do to Noah? Well, I'm not going to air the speculation. In fact, it's interesting because we come from a a guilt-based culture. We're interested in right and wrong, so, so we examine this passage, looking for how much right exists on one side of the ledger and how much right or wrong on the other. But in a shame-based culture, which is the culture and background of this passage, there's only one right and wrong here. Noah has been unnecessarily shamed by Ham. What exactly did he do? Well, the Bible tells us. He saw and told. Verse 22. He saw and told. For many, that's not enough. That's not significant. But if you understand the shame involved, it magnifies the ramifications of what he's done. Noah is seen in an undignified condition. 
There's no doubt about that. He's naked. He's uncovered in his tent. And we could speculate whether he had it coming. Or whether we should share a sense of shame or disrespect. I mean, come on, in our culture, so he's naked. Big deal. Everywhere we look, people are half-clothed and naked. I have to stay dignified here this morning. Ham exposed him. Third question he asks is, who is Canaan and why should he be cursed for something he did not do? Well, Canaan is Ham's youngest son and cursed because Ham is Noah's youngest son who cursed the honor of Noah by irreparably shaming Noah to the world. You say, to the world? There's no mass media. There's no satellite television or internet access. There's no Twitter or Facebook. But remember, the whole heads of the nations are represented in these three brothers. Ham shames his father to his brothers. I can't speculate on the motives, although I have some opinions. But in just trying to stick with what the Bible actually reveals to us, we who have not been reared in a shame-based culture, and I wish I had time to acquaint you with the different perspective of a shame and honor culture as opposed to our culture, but I don't. I'd like to add an, a question that uh, Alan P. Ross doesn't ask. Why is this in the Bible? Well, I have a two-part answer. One, the Bible doesn't sanitize its scandals. This one, at the second beginning of the world, can't be scrubbed away. It verifies Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. I think that's telling. Ham is no youth. Most scholars speculate he's over 100, even though he's the youngest son of Noah. You'll recall Noah was 600 when he went into the ark. His youngest son, maybe my age, we have no idea how old he is. But it does remind us, God is well aware that our intent is evil from our youth. And chapter 9, verses 18 and 19, which I've already alluded to, from these the whole earth was populated. In other words, as the suns go, the world goes. A second 
answer to the question or a second part to the answer, why is it in the Bible? Well, the curse of Canaan figures in the development of the nations and notably Israel and Canaan. Futures are shaped by fathers. Nations are born of sons. But what's the big deal? Well, here I would really like us to focus on verses 23 through 25 for just a moment. Because as I read and read widely, meditated on the Scripture for a long period of time, and there's all kinds of speculation, but I had to keep going back to the Word to get the answer. And I think that the answer of how we are to see the answers to these questions really needs to be shaped by verses 23, 4, and 5 because they were there. We have the brother's action in verse 23, and then we have Noah's action in verse 24 and 25. In verse 23, when we look at the brother's action, Ham comes out of, the, out of his father's tent now, I don't think Shem and Japheth are just standing outside. He goes to them. He goes to some length. I think we can assume to involve his brothers in the shaming of his father. But the brothers act very differently than Ham. And this is what I want us to focus on because I'm thinking to myself, so... You know, what's the moral? What's, what's the application for our lives out of this passage? It's so ancient, so different, such a different culture. What can it teach us? Well, we can be like a Shem and a Japheth. What they do is ceremonious by comparison to what Ham did. It says they took the garment, which suggests that Ham took the garment, which would be there to cover Noah. He had evidently kicked it off in the heat. Ham brings this garment out, and the brothers take that garment, and they drape it over their shoulders, and they walk backwards. Now notice the difference in detail. Ham, we're just told, he saw and he told his brothers outside. That's pretty economical. In other words, it's almost as though the Bible doesn't want to become involved in the details because the details aren't important. But what is important is the way Shem and Japheth handle this situation. And although this isn't an aside, they could have jumped in league with Ham. They could have treated the exposure of their father as leverage. Like I, like I think, this is just my personal opinion, I think Ham wanted to bring his dad down. I mean, why else do you go out and expose people? When they're vulnerable and when they're weak and when they're down and when they're naked, 
even when they're in their own tent, when they don't want to be exposed, when they're already perhaps fully aware, or if they're inebriated, when they wake, when they realize what they've done, there's already guilt. He shames Noah to diminish him, to bring him down in the estimation of his sons. And that's why I tried to get at this thing of the media. It's news. It's hard-hitting reporting. It's telling it like it is. It's just giving us the facts. Is it? And what are we left with? A total lack of respect for people. They pick and choose what stories they're going to feed us over and over. And there are these feeding frenzies. What happened to all the teachers having sex with their students? Well, it's not the story du jour. This stuff's been going on from the beginning. Are any one of us oblivious to our own guilt But in the process, there's no dignity left. There are heroes who win and restore a lost sense of respect for positions of authority. But come on, am I the only one in this? Don't you distrust everyone? Don't you think that these senators, and I mean, every time one is dragged down, they're all dragged down. I just feel like sometimes our society has become a pod of sharks. I don't know if they're pods, but you know, a group of sharks. Swimming around, just, just waiting for some blood. They take his garment and they cover his shame. And it touches my heart. Was Noah right? in the scales of justice? I can't vindicate him. Would Noah vindicate himself? I don't know. But he had two sons who honored him. I feel like I'm reading along in Genesis and I just I come to this passage and it's just like ugly. And the reputation of Noah is destroyed in my heart. And why? Because of Ham. Because Ham And his brothers have a choice to join him or treat Noah 
with the respect that he had earned. The curse also tells us something about Ham's action. What Noah did reveals the gravity. And when I say what Noah did, he cursed and he blessed. What he did reveals the gravity of what Ham did. It's not for us to evaluate the curse from our estimation of the offense, which is the way I think we naturally approach it. I think what we ought to be doing is evaluating the offense from the gravity of the curse. And there are two parts. The curse says, your youngest son, Ham, your youngest son is going to serve the rest of us, to put it in our kind of language. They're going to, he's going to learn to serve and obey, to put it in our language. I think the issue is bigger than we imagine. I feel like, in a sense, law and order, respect, authority, all the things that we were, at least some of us, were taught as children to respect. That's what's at stake, and thus the gravity in part. But the blessings are very instructive, and that's what I'd like us to end with and focus upon. The first is to Shem, whom I think is the oldest son. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. What an odd blessing. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Is it possible that Noah is realizing that he didn't deserve this? But it was only the, the place of God in Shem's life that caused Shem to treat his dad with a respect that perhaps in a way had been destroyed by Ham's notification. And yet they treated him with respect. And maybe Noah says, really, the blessing goes back to God himself, who seeks to preserve a dignity that sometimes we don't deserve. And then his brother, Japheth, notice what he says, verse 27, May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. In other words, these two brothers that treated their dad with respect are bound together under God because they together upheld the honor of Noah, whereas Ham and his family did not. But with each, he says, let Canaan be his servant. In other words, and maybe we have to think in terms of not so much retribution, but maybe instruction to try and restore a level of respect that Ham is not exhibiting, nor his family? Those are tough questions. But let me just uh, kind of wrap up this thought. Who do you want to see you naked? There are all kinds of nakedness, you know. Who do you want to see you naked? Ham or Shem and Japheth?
I think our culture and our society is really a mess. And I can't say that I haven't helped it. I, I don't know how to sort it all out. I just know we're exposed to other people's weaknesses and vulnerabilities. And just like this passage, we want all the details and we don't have them. But I want to suggest to us that we have a chance to act like a Shem or a Japheth instead of a Ham. But let me anchor it in something more solid. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to Jesus, whose cup and bread we're remembering this morning. Paul sums it up. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How does God treat us? When we look at how God treats us, we look at His Son, Jesus Christ. He covered our shame through the actions, the death, the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. I really mean it when I say I don't know how to sort this out. Even as I was jugging, boy, I don't know if I'd want us to go back to a shame-based culture. I know we live in a culture where we, we want to know all the facts. We want to weigh everything. I don't know how we can escape that. But I can give us a bright light to focus on that should, I think, guide us each and every day. It should be the basis of the way we view other people. And that is the dignity that we have. One, because God is our Creator. All have been created in His likeness. But if that's not enough, and evidently God didn't think it was enough, then even more so because of Jesus Christ, who died for you and for me. And when you take that to heart, it covers our shame. It covers our guilt. It expresses a value that God places upon us that is not settled and determined by what we have done wrong or by our nakedness or by our shame. It is a value that is placed upon us by God and demonstrated through the very action of Jesus Christ in His suffering and death for us. This passage deserves a much better sermon, a much longer sermon. But if we could take with us this thought that God was the source of the Shem and the Japheth in this story, and He's the source of Jesus Christ, and you can trust God with all of your weaknesses and shame in a way you could never trust anybody else. In a way Noah couldn't even his own family. Unless the very spark and spirit of the way they upheld the honor of their father was from God himself. 
This has been a production of Grace Community Church of Visalia. For more information, go to our website at www.gccvisalia.org or for more sermons, go to gccvisalia.org slash podcast.